Father, we do ask that it wouldn't just be a series on the book of Acts for these leaders, but it would be a release of the power of the book of Acts. We ask, Lord, that there would be a pouring out of your Holy Spirit on these leaders of the church, of the Pakistan church, these Urdu speakers in all these countries. And also, Lord, we pray you pour out your spirit here today on us. Lord, that Jesus, you would have your way with each one of us. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, there was this guy. And it was actually a very, very cold winter morning. And he was headed to work. And his wife texted him on the way to work. And her text simply says, windows frozen won't open. Well, the husband texts back, gently pour some lukewarm water over it. The wife texts back five minutes later, computer's really messed up now. Sometimes a message can be misunderstood. The thing about when Jesus speaks, he speaks as the master teacher very clearly very simply and not hard to understand. After Jesus says something, you really don't have to wonder what it is he just said. And one example of that is what we'll study today. We're going to continue, actually finish our series on the seven churches of the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. We come to our, our final church. It's a church in Laodicea. And what Jesus says to this church is very, very powerful. In fact, it is a powerful rebuke. He says that they have become lukewarm in their devotion to him. And because of that, they stay lukewarm. He will spit them out of his mouth. Now, we got to ask ourselves a question when we, before we look at this passage. Does lukewarm Christianity, does that describe my Christianity? Is it, is it lukewarm? Being lukewarm is kind of like being backslidden. If you're backslidden, there's a time that you first front slid. There's a time you went forward, so to speak, with, with faith in Jesus, and Jesus was everything to you. But since that time, you backed way off and no longer have that same passion and allegiance and devotion. That's being backslidden, and that's also being lukewarm. Now, I want to give you three characteristics of someone who is lukewarm or backslidden, and you can kind of do some self-inventory, evaluation, and consider whether or not that describes you. The first characteristic of someone who is lukewarm in their Christianity is that you no longer have an intimate relationship with the Lord. You're no longer close. You just kind of feel distant. You no longer just long to spend time with him. If it happens, it's okay. If it doesn't, it's no big deal. That's lukewarmness. A second characteristic that you indicates you become lukewarm is you no longer hate sin like you once did. I mean, you used to hate perhaps pornography, but now you can watch it in part of a movie you're watching and not even flinch. Or you used to hate dishonesty, and now you find yourself at work you know, doing little white lies from time to time, and it doesn't even bother your conscience. Or there's a time you used to really hate profanity, but now from time to time it slips out of your mouth. 
That would be another indication that you have backslidden or you become lukewarm. Third characteristic that you become lukewarm is you no longer obey the Lord like you used to. There used to be a time, perhaps, when you'd read something in the Bible. If it said do it, you'd just do it. If it said stop doing that, you'd stop doing that. But now you find yourself kind of picking and choosing what you want to or want to apply to your life. That would be another characteristic of lukewarmness. Now, if I just described you, then you're backslidden or you become lukewarm. And Jesus says to those who are lukewarm, he says, he gives a rebuke to them and says, if you stay in that condition, he will spit you out of his mouth. That's what he says to the church in Laodicea. Now, the message to the church in Laodicea, Jesus offers the strongest rebuke out of the seven churches to this church. But he also offers them the greatest promise at the end to those who will repent. So let's, let's go ahead and jump in there, starting Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And we'll put these verses on the screen. And you can also look at your Bibles, or if you don't have one, would like to look in one, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Revelation three fourteen. Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, he says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. Now we've seen this in all seven churches and Jesus addresses them. He always gives a description of himself that is different than the other ones, giving us more revelation and insight into who's actually doing the talking. And all of them describe Jesus Christ, son of God, son of man. Now, here he refers to himself as the beginning of the creation of God. Now, the English translation here is somewhat ambiguous and can be misleading. In fact, some cults have used this as a verse to prove that Jesus is a created being. Now, the thing about it is there is no ambiguity in the Greek text to what it's saying here. It doesn't mean that Christ was the first person that God created. It means that Christ himself was the agency of creation. In fact, other passages confirm this. The Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation directed by Jesus, but also he wrote the Gospel of John. Here's what he says in the Gospel of John, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, so whoever the Word is, he was in the beginning. He's already there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. So this word is deity himself, and yet he had a relationship with God the Father. And of course, we know that's God the Son. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So he was there before creation. Verse 3, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now we jump down to verse 14 or confirmation that he's talking about Jesus Christ, because he says, and the word, the word who was with God and was God, the word who was in the beginning with God, the word who, through whom everything came into being, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation. So we celebrate at Christmas. God, the son, became a man, a baby born in Bethlehem. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is about to address the church, the Son of God, Son of Man, the church in Laodicea. And, of course, this is a message to the churches. As he concludes each of these addresses, that means it's a message to us as well. 
So let's see what he has to say to the church in Laodicea. Remember, these seven churches are located in what we know as the country of Turkey today. It was, you know, it was Asia Minor at that time. So let's see what he says to them. Because what we'll notice is that there is absolutely no commendation to this church. Jesus offers them nothing positive. Other churches, he'll say something positive about them, then give a rebuke. But here he says, no commendation, just a rebuke. And direction on how to get things right on track again. Now, it's important to know some things about the city of Laodicea before we can understand what Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea. What we notice in these seven churches is that it's been important for us to do some background study in these cities. And what we find out about the city of Laodicea is that there was the city of Colossae was 10 miles to the east. Now, remember the letter and the epistle to the Colossians. These are Christians in the city of Colossae, which was 10 miles to the east of Laodicea. Also, there is the city of Herapolis, which was six miles to the north. And I want to show you some photos because I had the privilege of being at the actual site of the ruins of Laodicea as it's being excavated. So if you put that first slide, I want you to notice that I'm standing on these this excavation site that they've been working on since then, and more and more is coming up of this amazing city. But I'm actually facing right there east, and I want you to notice the mountains to the east, because Colossae was in the mountains, and Colossae, you could go and get some cold water to drink, mountain cold water. All right, now I want you to show the next slide. This next slide, over my left shoulder, you see the white right there. That is the that is actually part of the city of Arapolis. The snow-white limestone was shaped over thousands of years by this calcite-rich hot springs. Go to the next site, because I went over there to show you these hot springs. You can put your feet in, which is what I did, and that's hot water. All right, do the next slide. And that hot water just cascaded down the side and made this, this very, very white, snow-white limestone. So it's important that we know this that you have Laodicea, and off to the east you have Colossae, which is known for its cold water, and then off to the north you have Herapolis, which was known for its hot water. Laodicea had it neither one, hot nor cold. Keep that in mind. Our second thing that's important to know about Laodicea is that it was a wealthy and strategic banking center. In fact, the city was so wealthy that after it had a devastating earthquake in 60 A.D., devastated the city, the city had so much money that it rebuilt itself without any outside help. Rome actually offered to give the money to rebuild the city, but they declined because they didn't need the money. That's how wealthy they were. There's a third thing we need to know about the city of Laodicea. Now, it was famous for the soft black wool that it produced. This wool was made into clothes. It was, it was known for its garments and its woven carpets. And they were highly valued. And one more thing that's helpful for us to know before we actually see what Jesus says to the church is that it was also an important center for ancient medicine. They had a school there that was famous for its eye salve. And in fact, it was so famous that it was exported, their eye salve, to treat eyes was so 
famous, it was exported all over the Greco-Roman world. Oh, so keep those things in mind now. Let's see what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. Revelation 3.15. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So the first thing we notice is that Jesus says this. Jesus says, I know your deeds. Now, Jesus is going to base his judgment on these professing believers in Laodicea on the basis of their deeds. He's not going to base his judgment on the basis of their intentions. You know, deeds always reveal a person's spiritual state. Remember the Lord said, you shall know them by their fruits. The reason I point that out is because I think we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their deeds. But here we see that Jesus judges us by our, not by our intentions, he judges us by our deeds. It's important that we understand this. See, it doesn't matter what you intended to do, it's what you did do that defines you. It doesn't matter that you said, you know, you intended to stop a certain sinful behavior. It matters whether or not you did it. It doesn't matter whether or not you intended to start a prayer life. It matters whether or not you did it. It doesn't matter whether or not you intended that you spend more time studying the Bible every day. It matters whether you did it. It doesn't matter whether or not you intended to be part of a small group in a community. It only matters if you do it. It doesn't matter if you intended to start giving and tithing. And obeying the Lord in that is matters whether you not or you do it. It doesn't matter if you said, I intend to start spending more time with my family and not so much time at work. It only matters if you do it. Your intentions are not what matters. Jesus is going to base his judgment on us on the basis of our deeds, not our intentions. Jesus sees our deeds and he's going to judge us by our deeds. That's what defines us. Our deeds define us. It's our actions that tell, really, who we are. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a second, Gary. Salvation is by grace through faith. And I say, absolutely. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. But our deeds confirm or deny the presence of genuine faith and genuine salvation in our lives. Remember, James said in the book of James that faith without works is dead. So based on your deeds, just think about this for a moment, just kind of a little self-inventory between you and the Lord. Based on your deeds, what do you think Jesus would say to you? Not your intentions, based on your deeds. What would he say to you? Well, Laodicea didn't have deeds, good deeds, so here's what the Lord says to them. Revelation 3.15 I'll read it again. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, but so because you are lukewarm, just like your water supply, Laodicea, he's talking spiritually. You are lukewarm. 
neither hot nor cold. I, uh, and because you are lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. So Jesus says to the church in Laodicea that it is lukewarm, just like it's water supply, nauseating. By the way, don't do any hermeneutical gymnastics on this passage and try to take the edge off of it. It has an edge on it on purpose. You know, hot water is useful and effective to us. We like our hot coffee. We like hot tea. Cold water is useful. It's refreshing to us. We like to drink it. Nobody really likes lukewarm water. In fact, you see people do it. I've, you know, you got hot coffee and you set it down for a while and you go to pick it up again and it's gotten lukewarm. You pick it up and you're not thinking about the temperature and you begin to sip it and you spit it back in because you don't want it. It's, no, it's of no use to you. Well, Jesus says that's how he feels about the church in Laodicea. Jesus is sickened. He is sickened and nauseated by half-hearted followers. Those without any zeal, they don't have any passion. It's nauseating to him. That's what he says. Again, this is a stern rebuke. They're lukewarm, they don't, they don't get excited about the things of the Lord anymore. You know, have no desire really to spend time with the Lord. They don't go hard after him in the secret place. You know, it's, it's all optional to them. It's kind of like, you know, Jesus on the other side of the doorway, and instead of swinging the door open for communion with Christ, they'd rather just do business through the mail slot every once in a while. So Jesus' threat to the lukewarm church is that if they don't repent, and he's going to tell what that looks like in a moment, then he spits them out of his mouth. So the question we got to ask ourselves is, am I in that category? Am I lukewarm? Does Jesus, does Jesus see me that way? Now, before you, I think you can fully answer that question, let's look at the passage because he gives us the, the, the insight into whether or not you're lukewarm or not from the, in what he's about to say next in verse 17. Let's look at it. Revelation 3.17, he says this, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. That phrase right there, is the essence of lukewarmness. I need nothing. See, if you want to know whether or not you slipped into lukewarmness, all you have to do is look at your prayer life. So your prayer life is the indicator because if you slipped into the attitude, I need nothing, then you don't pray about much, do you? But if you realize your great need and you have a hunger you know, you know, you have great dependency and you're spiritually needed and you understand that, then it shows itself in your prayer life. Let me ask you, does your prayer life, is your prayer life exhibit A for lukewarmness? Because that's what Jesus is pointing out here. You say, I need nothing. Just like they said in Laodicea. The indication that you think that way or not it's proven in your prayer life. Your prayer life shows where you are in dependency. If your prayer life is just perfunctory, if it's just, you know, kind of going through the motions, then that's exhibit A, that you are lukewarm. 
And if you're lukewarm, Jesus says he'll spit you out of his mouth. That's what he says. Now, what about a church? Can you apply this not just to a person, but to a church? Of course, Jesus is applying this to the church. What if a church at one time had a corporate prayer ministry that was full of passion and that and that and it was it was just hot with passion and there were hundreds of people involved in it and then it cooled off and became kind of lukewarm and hundreds of people dropped off of it would you say that there's some lukewarmness in that church what if a church has a grace house of prayer a jihop we call it and there were hundreds of people that used to pray in there one hour a week that don't do it anymore. Now, you know, I've said over the years, many years, that you, you guys have been here a long time, have heard me say it for 20 years, that we're asking you to be willing to be inconvenienced one hour a week to come into our Grace House of Prayer and pray for our church family, our community, and our overseas workers. I know you can pray anywhere and it's convenient lots of other times and lots of other places. But I'm asking you to be willing to be inconvenienced one hour a week in our house of prayer. At one time, we had 500 people make that commitment. 500 adults every week in there one hour a week. And it's dropped off, of course, for a lot of reasons. And the craziness of COVID, I think a lot of people just got out of the habit. But I'm calling us all back to it. We got to get back into it. I'm telling you, there is a relationship between the level of prayer in a church and the level of Holy Spirit power in a church. And if the level of prayer drops in a church, the level of Holy Spirit power drops in the church. And that is just the way it is. And so what we, no one wants that. So we, gotta, we all got to make sure we raise that level of prayer so we can see Holy Spirit power in everything that we're doing across the board. And so I'm just calling us all back to that. There's going to be some volunteers in the foyer that you can, on the way out, you can let them know when you want to be part of a prayer meeting. There's live prayer meetings, or you can just come pray by yourself. You can get a prayer partner, you get a prayer team, but we need to raise the level back up. And we need to get this, uh, I think a lot of just, I, I just call it COVID funk. And we got to get past. And we got to get hot for Christ. We find ourselves lukewarm. What do we do to remedy the situation? Well, Jesus tells us how to remedy the situation. Revelation 3.18. He said, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will be, not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. So Christ has this three-part appeal. And again, he's, he's basing this on the three features of the city of Laodicea. Remember, they're noted for their wealth, their wool industry, and their production of ISAF. He says, I'll offer you spiritual gold. And I'll offer you spiritual clothes. And I'll offer you spiritual sight. Stop trusting in yourselves, he's saying, which is evidenced by your lack of prayer, lack of dependence. And he's saying, and invite me in, swing the door open. Stop dealing with me through the little letter, you know, little mail slot from time to time. Swing open the door and have communion with me. That's what, that's what he's saying. That's how you repent from lukewarmness. 
See, Luke, it's not just a matter of kneeling down and being sorry, saying, Lord, I can't believe I became complacent and, you know, and self and independent. And it's more than that. It's a repentance is to turn around and say, I'm going to be deliberate about swinging open that door and spending time in communion with Christ. That's what repentance looks like. And lukewarm, to get out of lukewarmness. So Jesus gives this, I mean, this hard rebuke. But he also then gives him an amazing promise. Remember, he talks about being overcomers at the end of each of these letters. Overcoming the enemy's attempt to somehow undermine your loyalty to Christ. And here it is overcoming the, in, you know, the self, this independence, this complacency, this pride, and actually being deliberate about throwing open the door and communing with Christ. That's what repentance looks like. That's, that's a solution to lukewarmness. It is opening the door, fellowshipping with Christ, walking with Christ, intimacy with Christ. And those who do that have overcome Overcome the enemy's attempts to make you disloyal to Christ. And here's what he says to overcome. Is Revelation 3.21, here is, I think, the, the most amazing promise. They're all amazing promises at the end of these seven letters, but I, this is my favorite one. Revelation 3.21, he says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who, has, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So those who overcome their lukewarmness receive this amazing reward. The reward in the, is that, first of all, the reward is pr- the presence of Jesus in you. That's the that, that's reward. But then there's this other reward he adds on in the future is ruling with Christ. Revelation 5.10 says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection over these. The second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So when Jesus comes again, and I'm expecting it in my lifetime. When Jesus comes again, he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. And we who know Christ will be in our resurrected bodies and we'll reign with him on the earth for a thousand years. But then there will be a new heavens and new earth. Here's what it says. Revelation 22, verse 5. And there will no longer be any night and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. So then we reign with him forever. This is an amazing adventure that we can't even get our imagination to wrap around it. All this entails is so much more than we can even imagine. This great adventure we'll enter into. What an amazing, you know, promise to those who overcome. We'll reign with him forever and ever. So my question to you is, so what will you do if you are lukewarm in all honesty between you and the Lord? You say, I've got some lukewarmness. If you are in that place, what will you do about it? What will you be deliberate about to do? And when will you do it? What is your plan? I mean, when are you going to throw open the doors and begin to commune with Christ? The key to overcoming lukewarm Christianity is communion with Christ, developing an intimacy relationship with Jesus Christ. This is where the passion comes from. This is where zeal comes from. This is where ministry flows out of. This is where our life flows out of. 
It all flows out of that relationship. So what will you do? Will you open that door? Because he is waiting on the other side. So what will you do? I want to invite the worship team back up here. And we're going to close. Not just This isn't just a closing song. But this really is a song that we, need to, we want to just ask the Lord during this song to pour out his Holy Spirit on us. We want to ask the Lord to just fan the flame of revival in all of our hearts. He doesn't put out a smoldering wick. His heart is to fan the flame in all of us today. So let's stand. I'm going to pray as the worship team comes up. And and just make this a song of, of of your heart saying, Lord, I'm throwing open the door to you, Jesus. I'm throwing it open. Let's pray. Lord Jesus... We're so glad that we don't have to to cry out to you from heaven to come down and do something. You're here with us right now. You said if we meet in your name that you are here and you are in this room. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Holy One. Son of God, Son of man, you're here in this room. You're right here. We're asking you, Lord, as we sing, Lord, and we give you our hearts, Lord, would you pour out your spirit on us? Would you baptize us? Would you immerse us? Would you pour out revival, oh Lord? Would you pour out your spirit on those on live stream right now, online, would you pour out your spirit on them? Would you put us back on the front lines of intercession and intercessory prayer and dependence on you? Would you make our watchword again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and say it with confidence. So Lord, we offer now, we're offering this worship to you, Lord. Would you pour out your spirit on us as we do?
take everything that we are. We just reach down and everything we are, our, our soul, our spirit, and we just say with all that, we, all that we are, Lord, we love you. We love you, Jesus. You are everything to us, Jesus. We ask you to fan the flame, Lord. Make us passionate for you, not just in a moment here and there, but, Lord, let that be our lives. Live for you. So we pray, Lord, even as we leave this place, we find ourselves being deliberate now deliberate all week long about walking with you, close communion with you, passionate for you, and retake our place on the front lines of intercession. Lord, would you do that work in us, and would you make it contagious? We pray this in Jesus' mighty name.